Pastor Mark coming to you virtually live on the big screen. Right now, Nina and I are on holidays and uh, we've taken a month off, which is the longest holiday that we've ever had while I've been here at Emerge Church. In between coming from Paradise Church to Emerge Church, we did take two months off, but that wasn't really a holiday. That was just trying to get everything settled and happening and get ready for the big move here to Queensland. So we are loving life. But I want to tell you, I'm excited about next week because I'm going to come back refreshed, refired, and really ready to preach and give you a great word. You know, next week is going to be exciting. We are coming together, all three locations, all Merce Church locations, Redcliffe, Morrowfield, Warner, coming together here at 10 o'clock next Sunday morning, and we are just going to have a celebration. It's going to be a great meeting. I'm going to be able to tell you many great things, probably tell you a bit of stories from my holidays, but also we've got some important announcements to make. And I really feel it's a time of unity. Think about it. We're not just going to be one congregation in three locations. We're actually going to be uh, one congregation in one location. We're going to reconfigure the space of this auditorium and we're going to make sure that you're going to fit You're not going to be just sitting on top of each other. There'll be space enough for everyone. But I really want you to make space in your weekend so that you can be here next Sunday. We're going to organise a bus from the locations. So don't worry about how you're going to get here. And it's going to be 10 a.m. next Sunday morning. And, And I'm telling you, I've got a word to speak. I've got something to say. I feel that God has put something on this meeting and that it's a very important meeting for where we are as a church. You know, recently I was at our young adults uh, retreat and Pastor Joe asked me this question. He said, where do you think the church is at right now? I thought it was a really good question and it made me think. And this is where I really feel the church is right now. I, I feel like we have been through a bit of a storm. You know, the storm of COVID, the storm of the pandemic, it changed some things. There's, there's a little bit of damage. We had to do things differently. Some of us got sick. Some of us are still sick over different times and it's been a difficult time. But I want to say we are still standing after the storm. Now, I don't think that COVID is finished yet. I still think there's some chapters to be written around COVID. But I feel as a church, we've kind of like battled through. We know where we're at right now. And when I look around, whatever congregation I'm at, whatever department I'm in, I just see life. I see people who are ready to do something for God. And that's why this meeting is so important because I believe we're going to come together and we're going to be in unity and tell the devil the pandemic didn't win and the kingdom of God stands and we're ready to go. You know, I feel I've got a word that's going to bring faith. I've got a word that's going to bring some direction and I'm going to bring a word that I believe is going to speak into your very heart. And, and I believe it's going to be very, very important. So please Make sure that you're there. Don't don't be somewhere else. Don't even watch it online. Just make sure that you're there because it's going to be excellent. Afterwards, we're also going to have a full kind of church lunch and a picnic. We're going to have all the bells and whistles. It's going to be great. It's just going to be a great day for Emerge Church. Unity It's one of my buzzwords. It's something I so believe in. And I believe when we show the enemy a unified force, a unified face, he doesn't like it. He goes off running. And I do want to say the best days yet are for Immerse Church and they are coming. Think about this, right? If we've been through a storm, 
I want to tell you, good weather is coming. And if we've been able to do what we did in a storm, how much better will we go when it's good weather? I believe that there's going to be unity. I believe there's going to be agreement. I believe there's going to be fresh vision and we're going to go forward as a church. Also, next week in that meeting, we're going to receive together, not in three different places, but we're going to receive together our provision for the vision offering. And I think that's exciting too. So I want to thank you for your giving. I want to thank you for your sacrifice. I want to thank you that your offering is a statement of obedience that enables God to reach. And as you've heard on the video, that's what God wants to do in our offering this year. He wants us to reach. That's what He's wanting to do. You've heard it again and again. God, through a merged church, wants to reach individuals, reach into the local community, whether that be nationally or even internationally. God wants to reach people with a glorious gospel and your giving enables a merged church to do that. You know, if you think about it, your giving extends God's reach. Yes, it may be a merged church, but I don't want a merged church to be famous. I want Jesus to be famous. And it's as we go out there and declare and proclaim the gospel that God starts to do things. You know, I've got, I've got no doubt that what God is going to ask some of you to give is a stretch. The very act of reaching is a stretch. For some of you, I believe it's going to be a point of obedience. And at the end of that obedience, at the end of that path of obedience, I believe there's going to be blessing and a greater way for you to be able to trust God. See these things as something that increases our faith, increases our ability to believe. So as I've told you before, if you don't want to give, you don't have to give. That's not what I'm about, trying to make you give. That's, that's not my heart. If that's what you think my heart is, you, you've seriously misunderstood what I'm about. But I do believe it's a message that is of faith and that it is one of the methods that God uses to stretch our faith. So please talk about it and at least ask God what it would be that He'd have you to give. So let me just pray for us right now. Father, I thank you that you want to reach many people. I thank you, God, that your heart is for people, oh God, and that, Father, you will always provide the resource, but you're going to use us to become or to be that resource. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to individuals even right now, speak to families right now, and, Father, even though it be a stretch, let there be an obedient response. Father, bless the giver and increase your kingdom and, in, and make the reach of Emerged Church go farther. Well, that is the longest pre-introduction to a sermon ever in the history of the world. I could probably do an order call right now and you would have all thought I'm preaching, but I am going to tackle today, right, one of the more controversial subjects. So you've been sitting a while, you're going to be sitting a little bit longer, so please wiggle your bottoms, get into a nice, comfortable spot. And I'm going to address one of the more controversial topics of the modern church. I'm going to address end times. Are we, in the year 2022, living in the end times? Now, I want to establish something right at the beginning. I'm not speaking about whether Christ is coming back again. That is certain. There's no arguing about that. That's not controversial. That's just standard, straight doctrine. That's the truth. 
Jesus Christ is coming back again. He will one day return. The Messiah is coming back. It's not a vain hope that Christians have. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus is coming back. Let's have a look at the Scripture. Acts 1 verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Someday. And let me tell you, so much conjecture, so many arguments, so many things have been spoken about, about that someday. When is that someday? The return of Christ has actually been a topic of discussion since Christ actually left. And in, in, in actual fact, though, it was the return of Christ and the things of that kind of talk that actually made me realise for the first time that Jesus could be real. It was as someone explained to me some things from the Bible that I saw could be happening today that made me realise that God knew who I was. And in realising that God knew who I was, that meant that I had to make a response. So this message is something that is powerful. This Bible was written 2,000 years ago, some of it a way lot longer than that, but these things are happening today and I found that amazing. But are we living in the last days today? Now in the late 80s and the early 90s, there was a lot of preaching about the return of Christ and many in church, I being one of them, thought that the rapture could happen any day. I remember watching the World Cup soccer in the 90s and when Italy won, it was good for my wife, bad for me, right? And, and thinking, this is going to be the last World Cup, right? This will be the last World Cup and Italy's won it. And the rapture is coming like a thief in the night. You know, Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. The European Common Union were the 12 na- or the 10 nations that were the crown of the beast. Helicopters are described in the Bible. Let me read it to you. Think about this. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. So you can read anything into some of these things because they're pictures and they're open to interpretations. You know, the, the markings on the first credit cards, which were called bank cards back then, were three sets of six numbers. There it is, the beginning of the mark of the beast. And then there were a hundred theories. There were books by all these different people and, and it was all going on. And, and to be honest, I loved every one of those theories. I dined out on those theories. I, I thought about them all the time. I, I loved it. The rapture's coming, the rapture's coming, the rapture's coming. Get ready, he's gonna come like a thief in the night. Watch out, watch out. And, uh, you know, if you're wondering what the rapture is, the rapture is, is when Christ comes to bring his believers out of the world because people believe that the tribulation is going to be so bad that believers will be taken to meet Jesus in the air before that happens. But I want to say this. That was in the 90s and I was certain it was going to happen. I was certain. But I want to say it's the middle of 2022 and Jesus hasn't come back. There's actually been a whole lot of World Soccer Cups. There's another one coming in November. 
You know, many of the things that were supposed to have happened that I was certain of didn't actually happen. I want to tell you, Henry Kissinger is not the Antichrist. The Pope was not the false prophet. A third temple has not been built. And the European Union now has more than 10 members. And I want to say, because Nina's still here, I know the rapture hasn't happened. If I was still here, who knows? But if Nina's still here, the rapture hasn't happened. The return of Christ has been prophesied by men throughout history. And and looking at the subject, I found that there's many people who have claimed to know when Christ was returning. People like the early theologian Arrhenius in, in the year 100 said that it was definitely the year 500 that Jesus was going to come back. There was one Pope who was going to say, that is definitely January 1, the year 1000. This is, this is a crazy one. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, one of the great men of God, just a, a wonderful man of God. If you want to stir yourself, read the stories of John Wesley. What a great man he was. But this is what he said. He said that the millennium was going to begin in 1836. He wrote that the Revelation 12 verse 14 referred to the years 1058 to 1836 when Christ should come. So let's have a look what Revelation 12 verse 14 says. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent to the wilderness to the place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Obvious. That always says to me, 1050, whatever it was, 1058 to 1836. That just seems to be crazy. How does he come to a conclusion like that? You know, Isaac Newton, the discoverer of gravity, I think he discovered, he was a great Christian scientist and, and a man who is a, a great apologist for the Christian faith. He actually predicted that Christ would return in the year 2000, but he was as right as the millennial bug. I filled up my kind of bathtub with water and did all that, but the millennium bug didn't happen and neither did Jesus Christ come back on the year 2000. William Miller, and this is where you've got to see things. I want to show you why it can be getting trouble to kind of predict the time. William Miller, the leader of the Millerites, predicted that Christ would return on October 22nd of 1844. Jesus didn't. And for a period of time, the church went through a a historic time called the Great Disappointment. Interestingly, it was the people who were affected by that disappointment that actually began the Seventh-day Adventist church. The Baha'i faith, which isn't even a Christian faith at all, when they saw that Williams, uh, uh, Miller, when they saw William Miller's prophecy, they said it did come true because that was the day on October 22nd, 1844, that Bab, the kind of God that, that the Baha'is followed, they believed that Moses became Jesus, Jesus became Muhammad, and then Muhammad became Bab. So whole movements have been created because of some erroneous belief about the second coming of Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses actually started, right? The Jehovah's Witnesses, we all know them, right? Actually started when Charles Russell, who was the originator of the Jehovah's Witnesses, proclaimed that Jesus had invisibly returned in 1874, which I kind of think is a struggle because Jesus said, you'll see. 
and you can't see that which is invisible. So we see lots of stuff happened around the return of Christ. In the First and Second World Wars, end time prophecy was again and again used to describe and explain all the terrible state of affairs of the world at that time. Yet Jesus didn't come back. So much of biblical end time prophecy seemed so pertinent during that time, yet Jesus didn't come back. You know, with the advent of COVID and governments around the world's responses to COVID, there's been a real resurgence in end time thinking. And that's why I'm preaching today. So many people have asked me to, but I haven't and I've resisted because I didn't really want to pick sides. And uh, at the end of this, I don't think you'll see or understand what I really think about so many of these things. To be honest, I have no idea what many of the end times prophecies mean or if they are relevant to the date today. There are many times within history where the conditions felt right, even though I believe that right now they're more right than they ever have been before. Though I do believe right now we are closer to having all those right conditions. The fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself doesn't know the time has returned. That was his father's decision. Let's read it. Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So if Jesus doesn't know, if the angels of heaven don't know, none of us can know. doesn't matter how smart you are, how many scriptures you've read, you can't know. So my advice to you is this. Don't get caught up in the mire. Don't be worried and, and, and concerned about all the controversies. It's not worth it. It's not profitable. Is this the beast? Is this a one world government? Is this the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is actually a, a classic one where people get all sorts of things going on. Some transcripts of the Bible say it's 666. Other transcripts of the Bible say it's 661. And it depends on whether the translation was from the Greek or from the Latin. The only interesting thing about that is both, when you count it says it's the number of a man, you can work it out, those of you who are wise. When you count that out, both of them refer to Nero, the emperor. With the COVID-19 vaccine stopping people from being able to work, and many people couldn't go and do many things, it was easy to see some people believing that the vax was the mark of the beast. But then I want you to think about this. 30 years ago, it was credit cards. As I said, we were told that the bank card, which was the first credit card, had three sets of six figures, six, six, six. So 30 years ago, it was credit cards. This time, it's the vax. And in 30 years' time, we don't even know what it could be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm just saying, be careful before you attribute this to being it or that being it, rather than let us see that God overrides whatever that it is. And that's where I want to warn you. Don't get involved in the controversies. Get involved in knowing Jesus better. Look what Paul says to Titus. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are 
unprofitable and worthless. Say it with me now. Unprofitable and worthless. That's what so many of the controversies are. They're unprofitable and they're worthless. Whether it's this or whether it's that. It doesn't really matter. It's always Jesus. And if you endeavour to know Jesus more, if you endeavour to look to Jesus more, if you endeavour to seek Jesus more, it doesn't actually matter. See, the book of Revelation was written to people who were in trouble. They were being persecuted to death. And they needed to know that no matter how much the world system was imposing itself upon them, that Jesus Christ was going to overcome and that Jesus Christ had gone before them. It's about knowing Jesus. It's not about knowing all the machinations of how it's going to happen. So whether you're right or wrong, getting overly involved, the key word overly, <coughs> in this stuff never helps you know Jesus better or promotes unity in the body. And that's what I guess as a pastor I don't like about this stuff because it divides people. It makes people take sides. And I've never thought that was wise in anything, whether it be about demons, whether it be about tithing, whether it be whatever, all the different things are. Let's not just do things that divide us. Let's do things that bring us together. Also too, is it actually there's a form of, I guess superiority, because I've got this special knowledge that I saw on this thing or I read about there. And so therefore, I'm kind of more in the know than you are. And so therefore, I'm a bit closer to Jesus than you are. And, and I don't like that. I don't like that. I think Jesus made us all the same. We're all just sinners in need of a Saviour who are saved by the grace of God and need to sit in the love of God. But I do believe that we are living in the last days and that Jesus is coming back soon. Matthew 24, Mark 13 and Luke 21 are the chapters where Jesus speaks of the end days. Let's, let's, I don't want to read it all because there's, 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 that's one of the bigger chapters of the Bible. So Jesus is leaving the, teach, the temple after teaching there. And his disciples start talking about the ornate stonework and the majesty of the temple building. They're going, have you seen this place? Like, this is amazing. Wow, this is incredible. Look at those pillars. Look at that ornate work. Look at those intricate car. Oh, this place is amazing. Jesus, you must think this is incredible. But Jesus, he interrupts them and he says, uh, 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 let's get our focus right. He goes, there's a time coming where this temple will be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon its other. So he's saying, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about the stuff. That's not important. And, and 70 years later, that actually happened. The disciples were intrigued, so they asked him to tell him more, and Jesus does. And he goes on and tells them about the end of days, about his returns, about the tribulations, and about prophecies from the book of Daniel. And he starts his teaching with this warning. Matthew 20, verse, verse 4, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. And this is what I think happens. If you go all too crazy with all these end time theories, trust me, you will get misled. 
So Jesus tells them of wars, of threats of wars, of earthquakes, of persecutions, of false messiahs, of signs in the sky. He talks of them of Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. And he finishes that off by telling him that these are the signs of the times. When you see these things happening, you know that it's going to be close. To show his point, he, he uses two analogies. He uses the one of vultures circling. He says, when you see the vultures circling, you know that there's something dead on the ground. You know that something has ended and then life has ended there. And he says, so you know that that's what tells you. You see the vultures, that tells you what's happened. Then he says, there's a fig tree. He goes, when these leaves come out, you know that that fig tree is about to produce fruit. You see the sign that the thing hasn't happened yet, but you know it's about to happen because you see the signs. So when Jesus talks about wars and pestilences and earthquakes and all those things, he goes, when you see that happening, understand that the time is close. And so you can see why for so many, they've said, oh, it must be happening now. It must be happening now. For in, church, in history, there's been many of those things happening all the different times. So many of these signs have been there, as I said before, Jesus ascended into heaven. One of the differences now is that we have modern technology. You know, before if something happened in Palestine, they really wouldn't have any idea for maybe a month or so in Rome what had actually happened, right? If something happened in China, they didn't even know China existed back then. So they have no idea of what was going on in the world. Right now, something happens, we know in two minutes. And it doesn't matter what happens in China, Japan, in the middle of India, in the middle of uh, <coughs> our Queen Street Mall. Someone has got a camera in their pocket and they're going to take a picture of it and we are going to see what it is that, that, that we're wanting to see. And so that's what we're saying. We, we can see the signs now more than what we've ever had. And sometimes I wonder that's another reason why there's so much more interest. So it's a sign. These are the signs. If I was coming to your house tonight and you knew about, I don't know, six o'clock, Pastor Mark's going to come to my house and you heard a car come up at about five to six, you heard a door close, you heard footsteps on the driveway, I'm not at your house yet, but you know I'm coming. So those signs, the things that are going on in the earth today, are a sign that what Jesus said, that he's going to come back one day, is true. And right now, we're hearing the footsteps of Jesus. So he may not be here yet, but he's definitely coming. So I want to talk to you about some of these signs and ask ourselves, are we living in the last days? <clears throat> I don't want to come across as an expert because I'm certainly not. And to be honest, I actually don't want to get into the debates of this or that or this and all these other things. I, I don't want it. I don't feel that it's profitable or worthwhile. I just want to tell you what the Bible says, kind of, I guess, in headlines. So let's get into what the Bible says. Most scholars believe that one event in 1948 actually ushered in the last days. And that was the establishment of Israel as a sovereign country. Almost all end time prophecy concerns Jerusalem and the Jews. So until Israel became a country, right, to be honest, none of end time prophecy could actually be fulfilled. The Bible tells us this is going to happen. Ezekiel 28 verses 25, 26. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel will again live in their own land, the land I gave my servant Jacob. For I will gather them from the distant lands where I have scattered them. I reveal to the nations of the world my holiness among my people. They will live safely in Israel and build their homes and plant their vineyards. And when I punish the neighbouring nations that treated them with contempt, they will know that I am the Lord their God. The establishment of Israel didn't come easy. The Jews were a marginalised and mostly hated people all throughout Europe. And they realised that no matter where they were, that they were always going to be considered Jewish. So if they lived in France, they wouldn't be French, they'd be Jewish. If they lived in England, they wouldn't be English, they'd be Jewish. If they lived in Russia, they wouldn't be Russia, Russian, they'd be uh, Jewish. And what would happen is that the people didn't like them because God had blessed them. And they stayed amongst themselves and, and there was much, much anti-Semitism. It was very terrible. A, a Jewish reading of history is almost like a horror story of death and destruction. And the church didn't help. Christians really didn't help. You know, the, the great men of God, some men of God were ant, outrightly anti-Semitic. Martin Luther, the, the person of grace, this is what he said. He said, if you killed a Jew, you were doing God a favour. And so we see that anti-Semitism really was rife throughout all of Europe, maybe throughout all of the world, really. And it ended up with the Holocaust in which six million Jews were killed. You know, the Jews had been killed for centuries before that all over Europe. But this was kind of like the final straw. And to be honest, this is why, and you see this when you go to Israel, that the Jews in Israel disregard Christianity, they see it as the religion of their oppressors because Christians would kind of put them in the gas chambers and, and do sorts of things and call them Christ killers. So because of the Holocaust, the world took notice. Israel was under British rule and they slowly allowed the Jews to buy land and the Turks sold them the land. And, and they, they sold them what they thought was worthless land, land that could never be grown on, they didn't think it was going to be good. But the Jews, through hard work, through their kibbutzes, turned that land into fertile ground and more and more Jews started to come. And in 1948, by a United Nations degree, the British gave Israel to the Jews. And to be honest, they've been fighting to keep that land to this day. You know, if you were to come with us on our trip to uh, uh, Israel next year, you're going to see many of these things and, and hear so much of their history. It's fascinating stuff to actually see the Bible in action right in front of your eyes. You know, today they're still surrounded on all sides by, na by nations who outrightly declare that they just want to drive every Jew into the sea. So number one, without Israel, there can be no return of Christ. And it's remarkable that 1900 years and 48 or so years later, Israel is established. So let's have a look at the things that Jesus said and see if they're there. False cults. Are there false cults? Yes, lots of them. You can worship the spaghetti monster in the sky if you so wants to do that, right? Wars and rumours of wars. Yes. World War I was called the war to end all wars. Well, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Famines. Are there famines? It's, it's terrible, really. There's enough food in the world to go around, but there's still many famines around the world. Pestilence. Well, we know about that. Anyone know a thing called COVID-19? Right? Right now. 
In 2019, do you know 25% of all the world's pigs were actually killed through a thing called African swine fever? Earthquakes. Yes, there's earthquakes. Persecutions. Absolutely. All around the world, Christians are dying for their faith. And now even in Western countries where where there's been a bastion of the church, Christians are being persecuted in all sorts of ways. And I know that you say that lawlessness. Just turn on the news. You'll see lots of lawlessness. But also it says the gospel will be preached. And I love this. It says in the last days that the reaper will overtake the sower. And I want to tell you right now that there is a move of God throughout the world. Many, many millions of people are being saved. And it's said that there are more people alive today who are in faith in Christ than there would be in heaven. That's amazing. Paul also talks to us about the end times. Let's see if they kind of match to what's going on today. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 and 5. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there's going to be some very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving and they will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll have no interest in what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless and be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They'll act as if they're religious, but they will reject the power that, that could make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. So let's have a look at some of these things happening right now. Number one, love of money and themselves. Amen. Look at the corporate greed. Am I the only one who thinks it would be okay if a bank made only $4 billion instead of $5 billion and used that other billion dollars to kind of help people and give people a job? Maybe I'm crazy, right? Number two, proud and boastful scoffing at God. Some of the arrogant atheists that are around right now that want to make you seem so foolish because you believe in the invisible sky, God. Right? It's just arrogant, scoffing at God. And we see it more and more. Disobedient to parents, considering nothing sacred. You know, parents used to complain that the Rolling Stones were an evil, terrible influence on their children. My goodness, some of the music that's out today They're wishing, bring the Rolling Stones back. It's so much better. Look how movies have changed. Number four, unloving, unforgiving, having no self-control. Just read the paper any week and you'll see all of those things. Loving pleasure rather than God. What do most people do on a Sunday now rather than 50 years ago? Is it rather I'm going to do what I want to do on Sunday or will I be in the house of God? Number six, they act as if they are religious, but they deny the power of God. Many churches have a cross out the front, but Jesus left their pulpit a long time ago and they spend all their time trying to disprove miracles and and disprove the resurrection and and try and make it all nicey-nicey. But they don't tell you that to be a disciple of Christ is going to actually cost you everything. That miracles are for today. And that God is still moving today. Amen, church. Say amen with me. God is still moving today. But what Jesus said and what Paul said, I don't think it's foolishness to proclaim 
that we are living right now in the last days. I myself don't think it's going to happen tomorrow because I believe there's still some things to happen. But we are now living in a time where all of these things can happen in a very short time. So let me give you some of these things and a quick overview. An antichrist will rise up. The Bible calls him the beast. He will be a world leader and he will be Jewish. He'll be very charismatic, powerful and capable. He's going to bring peace to the earth and everyone will love him. He'll be like a miracle worker. At one point he'll be assassinated, but he's going to come back to life. Everyone will see this and it's a false type of the resurrection. Number two, the Antichrist will work hand in hand with one whom the Bible calls the false prophet. The false prophet will be a religious man and he will bring all the religions together and make a one world religion. He will cause everyone to worship the Antichrist. And there's a possibility that it'll be these two that'll see the establishment of another temple in Jerusalem. During these times, there's going to be many great disasters all over the world with many people dying, maybe up to half the world's population. That's pretty scary. And the end will be a great war called the Van of Armageddon. Sorry, I've done something wrong here. Uh, there we go. Sorry. And all the earth's army is going to gather together and they're going to attack Israel. Number five, Jesus returns in great victory and the devil is bound for a period of 100 years. Number six, after a thousand years, the devil's released. He causes much strife, but is immediately dealt with and banished into the lake of fire. So they're the things that the Bible says. No argument about those things. They're clear and they're to be said. But the how, the when, the why, the all of those things, who actually does know? There are a million theories about how and when and what if. And is this, that, and what does that mean? The thing we need to see that the conditions, the, the conditions of the last days of earth history are here now. And we need to see that we are right with God. I hear the footsteps of Jesus. You know, Jesus tells the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. He said that the, 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 the bridegroom is going to go away and they're going to wait for him. And he said, you needed to have your oil in your lamp and you needed to be ready. What happens? Because it seems like, oh, they've been talking about this forever, that Jesus is coming back. We go and live our own lives. No, that's not what to do. That's not what to do. We're to be ready and we're to have oil in our lamps, a strong relationship with Jesus. You know, when Jesus was speaking that, he wasn't actually speaking to Christians. He's speaking about the end times to, to non-Christians. He says, Christians, you be ready. That's what we're called to do. So maybe the band could come and each of the uh, Redcliffe, Morayfield and Warner, get the little piano player going on. That's very nice. Thank you. So there you have it. A very, very quick overview of the end times. I purposely wasn't definitive. I just don't think you can be. I gave you the headlines and I believe much of the story is yet to be written. Think about this. Jesus himself fulfilled over 60 prophecies that the Bible told us about. But to understand them before he actually came would have been impossible only after 
he was died and had been resurrected and ascended into heaven, could we see that those passages of Scripture actually meant Jesus Christ of Nazareth? In regard to end times prophecy, only once it has been fulfilled will we really have all the truth. So let me finish with this. Why is end time prophecy so alluring? Why does it draw us in so easily? I've showed that right from the start, 100 years after Christ ascended, people were already wondering. They are already teaching. They are already proclamating theories. And I want to tell you this, it's because we are eternal beings. Eternity is written on all of our hearts. We all know inherently that there's something after life, that this life is not what it's all about and that this life just can't be all that there is. So I want to say, instead of letting that draw of eternity call you into seeking the hows and the whys and the whats and the whens, let that call of eternity in your heart cause you to draw after Jesus, to seek after Jesus, who Revelation calls the Alpha and the Omega. It all begins with Jesus. It all ends with Jesus. So let's not get sidetracked in the middle by going after something that's not Jesus. You know, Revelation is not a book about the end times. It describes some of the end times. The revelation of Jesus is exactly that, the revelation of Jesus. The book of Revelation was written to reveal Jesus. Jesus, the one who overcomes everything. And if we stand with Jesus and not the kingdoms and philosophies of this world, we will surely overcome. Father, I pray right now for everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray that they, O oh Lord, would be stirred, O oh God, to seek You, O oh God. Father, that where fear comes, because I read this, or fear comes because I read that, where fear comes because of something that was said, O oh God. Father, Lord, let it not cause fear of the end times, but let us cause praise. Let it cause seeking. Let it cause faith. Let it cause reliance. Let it cause response, O oh God, to Jesus. Father, whatever happens, it's going to happen. Your Word has said it. No matter washing, no matter how much we wish it wouldn't happen, it's what's going to happen. There is going to be tribulation. There is going to be all of these things. But You are Lord of these things. You are Master of these things, O oh God. And so, Lord, we look to You and we ask that You, O oh God, guard our hearts. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thank you.